Well, I'd like to extend um, just a further welcome, first of all, to all of our guests that are here, but a personal one to the, to the team from Houston. Um, Houston is where my wife and I began our marriage and our first 10 years of ministry. So thank you for, for coming to the Czech Republic and to Prague. It's, it's a blessing to us, and I know God will bless your work in great and mighty ways. So we thank you for that. All right, now, those of you who have, have been a part of ICP for a long time, you know I love props. I try to find some most of the time. Today will be a good prop. Uh, sometimes they're a little questionable. But today, um, we are, we're going to deal with our taste a little bit. So I have some candy to pass out. I want you to, to look through, take a piece that you like. Most of it is chocolate, Swiss chocolate, just so you know. There is, for those slightly strange people that don't like chocolate. There are some fruit chews in here. And if you happen to have a nut allergy, don't pick the green one, okay? It's got hazelnuts in it, all right? So we're gonna pass those around. You're, now, here's the, here's the deal. Don't eat them yet, okay? Because we're gonna do an exercise in a little bit um, in the scriptures. And so what I wanna do is build anticipation, so the longer and the hungrier you get for that little piece of chocolate, the better. In fact, I may even just double the length of my sermon just to see how much it can build. Yeah, you all are worried now, aren't you? All right. Well, we've been exploring um, the book of 1 Peter, and we've been looking at the subject of the common made holy, how God transforms a person who, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, into something that is supernatural, something that is what the Bible refers to as a saint. Now, oftentimes we have a difficult time understanding and seeing ourselves as a saint because the picture in our mind is, inac is inaccurate. But what a saint is that we looked at last week, we're just going to review a couple points before we move forward. A saint is a person who is set apart by God to obey Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we become a saint. We are justified by what Jesus has done, not by what we do, but what he has done on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that means that positionally we are now a saint. But with that comes a process. Um, the, the theological term is the word sanctification, and it simply means becoming the saint that you are. And that's what this book of 1 Peter really is all about, is about becoming who God has already declared you to be in Christ Jesus. And, and a saint, we saw last week, lives as an exile in a foreign land. Just like many of us live as foreigners here in the Czech Republic, we need to recognize that our citizenship spiritually is in heaven. No matter whether we're in our home country or not, this world is not our home. And when we live as if it is our home, we will not experience the fullness of what God wants to do in us and through us, nor will we experience the fullness of his joy. We also discovered last week that a saint obtains an everlasting inheritance. There is a birthright that you and I get um, that comes from God when we place our trust in him because we become his children, adopted um, by the work of Jesus Christ, we become his. So if you've trusted Christ, you are a saint. But many times we don't feel like a saint. And even more frequently, 
We don't live like one. And what I believe the scripture points to us today is that the reason that that is true is because we desire too little. Not too much, but we settle for half desires in our life. We pursue things that we think will bring satisfaction, but they can't take us to the point where there is true life and joy. Oftentimes, we don't feel like a saint, and and it seems that life itself consumes more and more energy, um, but we don't feel like we're getting anywhere. We're not progressing oftentimes. And I believe that the reason for that is because our desires are too small. And so my prayer today is that as we explore these verses of Scripture together, that God will ignite your desire. He will cause you to want more and to not settle for half measures, but to desire, as the Scripture says, the pure milk, pure spiritual milk. Now, now here's the the thing. We're going to focus in on this verse, but to set the stage, let's remember what it said. It said in, when Rindy was reading those verses, like newborn infants desire the sincere milk, spiritual milk. Sorry, I memorized this in a different version, and it says this milk of the word, and so I confused myself. But the, the version, it, both translations are good, but desire pure, sincere spiritual milk. Now, how many of you have ever been around a hungry baby? Okay, a few. And this is what you've experienced. When they begin to get a little feeling in their stomach that it's empty, the little child slowly lifts its hand. Mommy, oh dearest mom, I know you're busy. Or dad, I know you've been at work all day, but you know, if you have time, when you get to it in a few moments, maybe you could give me a little milk. You know, if you don't have time, it's okay. That's, that's how our children were. I don't know about any of the rest of you, but that's what they, all four of them did that. It was amazing. They slept all night long. Yeah. I will spend a lot of time in confession for lying today, but obviously, what do infants do when they're hungry? They put everything they are into letting you know they have a desire. They cry with all that they are, and their little lip begins to tremble really, really hard, and then they, they scream, and their whole body shakes, and they turn red because their desire is absolutely consuming. That's what Peter is saying is the kind of desire you and I are to have for him. Okay? You got the picture now? So that's, what, that's where life is found, is when that kind of desire consumes your heart and your soul for God. All right, it's going to be cool. Let's look at this. All right, we're going to back up and see this desire as it's in its context. So I want you to back up a few verses in 1 Peter, back to, to chapter 1, verse 7. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revealing or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
Now, I want to start there because I want you to see where, what Peter's desire is for you and I. It's for us to experience this inexpressible joy that is filled with glory that points to God. That's what these verses mean. And what it springs from is a love for God, a love for Jesus himself. Now, this is incredibly significant that Peter wrote these words. Because when we think about Peter, we have to, you know, we, we think about how he, he rushed in, he spoke what was ever on his mind, how he was bold, but we also have to remember that he denied the Lord. And after he had denied the Lord, when Jesus came to him and wanted to restore him into his relationship and restore him into ministry, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is writing here as one who had failed the test of love, writing to those who are living as exiles in a foreign land who have never seen Jesus, people just like you and I, but they love Jesus. And he's encouraging them. Even though he failed the test and had to be restored, he's encouraging us to pursue that love. And maybe you're like Peter and like me. The truth is I've discovered time and again that my love for Jesus is very small. And so he's asking me, and maybe he's asking you today, do you love me? Will you choose to love me? Now, I love how Jesus answered in John, John 21. We're not going to take the time to read it today, but you can, you can turn there and, and read the story of, of Peter's restoration by Jesus. When Peter answers the question, and, and we, it's hard to understand it somewhat in English because the words that Jesus actually asks are different. Um, they all look like, do you love me? But they're a little bit different in the original language. He asks him, first of all, do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? And Peter answers back, Lord, you know I care about you. You're important to me. He was honest. And I love what Jesus did because then he said, feed my sheep. He says, I want you to put that love that you have, even though it's not up to the measure that I want it to be or where you want it to be, I want you to put it into practice in loving others, in caring for the church. You see, that is how our love increases, is when we take what we have now, the desire that we have now, and we begin to exercise it in obedience to Christ and in service to him by loving others. It's incredibly important. So a saint begins by loving Christ. And when we look at the context, if we look at the verses before this, we discover this happens oftentimes in the midst of trials, in difficulties. It's not when everything is going great. It's in the very time of testing and hardship that he's saying, let your love increase. Let it be strengthened. And we need to remember that our trials, all of us will go through trials. In fact, the scripture very boldly says, if anyone is in Christ, he will suffer persecution. You will suffer trials of different forms. Trials do not define us, but how we respond to them does. We can take those trials and those circumstances and we can give them back to Jesus and say, Lord, what do you want me to learn and how do you want to use me through the midst of this time to show your greatness and to demonstrate your love to others and that is what can define us. 
And so a saint is called to love Jesus. But what is the secret to becoming more and more of a saint, to becoming more like Jesus? Well, I believe what we find here in these verses and and in other parts of the scripture is that God has given us an incredible treasure, but it's a treasure that you and I have a tendency to overlook. We take it for granted because for many of us, it has become so familiar. That treasure is God's word. It is a gift that is given to us that because, at least in my heart language, it is so accessible, I take it for granted. But this is a gift that we should never forget its incredible value. Because you see, this is not an instruction book. This is not a guidebook about how to have a better life. This is a living autobiography of God himself to say to you and I, this is who I am and this is how much I love you and I want you to know me. When that becomes the treasure of our own heart, it will begin to transform how we live and how we love. Don't take God's word for granted. He has given us an incredible treasure. And the scripture tells us that the primary instrument for us, uh, for our sanctification, for our becoming more like Jesus, is his word. He, he ends what we read before. He ends chapter one talking about how God's word is eternal, that it lasts forever. Every other desire, every other thing that we may encounter in this world will fade away, but his word lasts forever. And then he goes on in verse two. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, which begins with his word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. God's word is the primary instrument to making us more like Jesus. So we can't neglect it. In fact, we need to treasure it and love it. The primary thing that he will use to enable us to grow into who he has called us to be is his word. The truth is, though, if we are honest, many of us spiritually are anorexic. We spend so little time in God's word or we've convinced ourselves that we know it, we know the stories, we're familiar with it, and we forget that it is a, that it is a living word that is pointing to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. My prayer for each and every one of us here today is that today you will, you will choose to treasure God's word in a way you never have before. Because the truth is, if we ate physically, As often as we tend to meditate or read or spend time in God's word, a lot of us would either become spokespersons for weight loss people, you know, weight weight watchers or whatever else is out there, you know, because, man, I've even lost weight. You know, we, we become trim or we'd be dead because we don't make it a priority in our heart, in our life. So what are we to do? How are we to foster this desire? Well, Peter in chapter two, the first few verses, tells us that if you're gonna have that desire become the driving thing in your life, you need to put away some other desires. 
Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That word long for is a command. It means make it your top desire. The thing that you want most is to desire this pure spiritual milk, a presence and intimacy with God that is found at least beginning in his word. But he also indicates that there are some problems with our, with our heart. There are competing desires. And, and if we're going to be able to desire this, we need to first put away some self-centered desires. One of the saints of old who was uh, a bit of a Christian mystic, Teresa of Avila, um, wrestled with her desire for God. And um, in her particular case, she felt guilty because her prayer life was limited in her mind. And so she went to the Lord one day and said, Lord, I'm asking you to give me a desire to pray four hours a day. Huge Huge request, right? And, and she didn't seem to get an answer from the Lord about whether or not he, was, he would do that. And so she kept praying. She was persistent, and she would try, and she would fail, and she would try, and she would fail, until one day the Lord answered her in this way. He said, Teresa, at least in, in, his, in, the, in speaking through his Holy Spirit, spoke into her heart and said, Teresa, When you see the birds that are around you, I do not make them desire food. When they are hungry, they eat. The same is true of you spiritually. When you become hungry for me, you will want to spend time with me. You'll want to know me. You'll want to connect with me. That's true for all of us. But we have to choose that desire. God commands it, but then he meets that command when we begin to take a step with enabling us to desire him more. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I believe that we are living in a day that is a fulfillment of scripture that was proclaimed back in Amos chapter eight. Let me read these verses to you before we look at these things we have to put out of our life. He says in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That is, I believe, the state, not only of the culture, but to a large degree of the church. There is a famine, and we need to have the Lord awaken our appetite, our desire for him. Because I believe the greatest threat to us becoming and living as the saints he's called us to be is spiritual, spiritual apathy. The belief or feeling that you and I are stuck with the way we are spiritually. If you're convinced that this is all that there is, this is all I will ever experience of God, and that the level of your spiritual intensity that you have right now is as good as it's ever going to get, you're missing it. Because God is infinite. There is always more to him. There is always more to know. 
more to discover, more to experience. And I believe the reason is because we wrestle with half desires. We want the surface, yet we do not desire the actual substance. We want to be thought of as wise, but I don't really desire wisdom. We sometimes want the comforts of wealth, but I'm unwilling to have a desire to be generous to others. We sometimes want the pleasure of lust, but not the deep sacrifice of love. And I believe what the scripture is telling us is don't settle for half desires. Want more. Want more. Because God is able to meet your desire if you truly want him. And the truth is, as sobering as it is, you have as much experience with God right now as you want. What you're experiencing now is revealing what you want, not what he has to offer. So the change has to happen not with God, but with us. Now, here's an important thing. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I do want more, I'm not satisfied. If, if emotionally you feel that there is a disconnect, that is a good thing. Because emotions are great warning signs of a problem in us spiritually. But emotions, why, whereas they are great warning signs of a problem, are a horrible map to follow. You do not want to lead your life based upon your emotions. They will take you where you do not want to go and you will not like the end result. But as a warning sign, they're a good thing. You know, the idea, you know, um, we've lived most of our life in, in Colorado and there you have all kinds of steep grade signs, steep cliff ahead, warning, falling rock, all these danger signs. Well, you know, if, if there's a, a sign, the warning sign that says steep cliff, um, that's a good thing to indicate. You don't want to keep, sorry, I'm cutting in and out. Do I need to use this one? Okay. I'll spin or I don't know. Anyway, if there's a warning sign there, I don't want to use that as my map because it's going to take me off the cliff. Emotions are great warning signs, but terrible maps to follow. And so if you're feeling dissatisfied, take that as hope that God wants to give you a greater desire, a greater encounter with him, and it will be beautiful. But to do that, we've got to put some things away. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, this list is an interesting list because it has something in common. Each one of these things that are indicated are the very things that destroy relationships. When we look at this, if I have malice or deceit or hypocrisy, or envy, or slander in my heart, it is going to affect my relationship with other people, with my wife, with my friends, with my family members, with strangers. It's going to destroy relationships. If that's what's battling in my heart for first place, it's also going to destroy my relationship with God. Because what I believe Peter is saying here is your heart can't handle conflicting desires. One of these has to win. 
And here in listing these desires, what he's saying is, is malice is a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds, a desire to win at any cost, putting ourselves first. Deceit is a desire to gain some advantage or to uh, preserve some position by deceiving others. Hypocrisy is the desire to be known not for what we truly are, but for a false premise to be an actor and have people believe the facade and the reputation that we put forth rather than the authentic reality of our heart. Envy, a desire for some benefit that belongs to another with a resentment that someone else has it and you don't. You see, all those things will not only affect our horizontal relationship, but they will destroy our relationship with God as well. You can't desire self and the Savior. They conflict with one another. And if we want to experience the fullness of God, we have to choose to make that be the first desire of our heart. Well, fifthly, God's word also leads to our greatest satisfaction. We need to put aside false desires, half desires, self-promoting desires, and choose instead to love and desire God for himself. Because you see, he is our satisfaction. And the scriptures themselves are not just a book of history and poetry and literature. They all point to a person. Even the commandments that we see in God's word, there are precepts that he has placed in his word about things he says are right and are wrong. Those precepts are built upon principles that reflect from his character, but ultimately they point to his person. The reason he makes these commands and says, do this and don't do this, is because he is showing us who he is and how he loves. And so they all point to a person. So when we get to know his word, when we begin to love his word, we begin to love him more. Now there's some dangers that can happen in, in having a pursuit of God's word because there is a danger that we can love the paper more than the person. In other words, we can become so enamored with knowing things about God's word that we don't really encounter the person of the word, Jesus Christ, on a consistent basis. This was what Jesus called out in the Pharisees. He said, you know the word. You've memorized it. You've studied it, but you refuse to come to its author to have life. That's a danger for us as well. We need to remember that the scriptures all point to a person, to Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do to, today is I'm just going to pause the message there, and instead we're going to do an exercise. So I want you to get out your piece of candy, and if you have a Bible, I want you to open up, open up the Bible. And um, what I hope to do is to take some of the desires that you have right now, whether you think they're a good desire, spiritual desire, or not a spiritual desire, I want you to begin with those desires and begin to discover how God intends to meet those and that the, the meeting of that desire has a connection to his word. And there, the place that I want to encourage you if, you, 
if you are honest today and you say, my desire for God's word is kind of small. The place I want to encourage you to begin is in the Psalms. So I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. It's right in the middle of your Bible. And um, if you don't have one, there's some in the pew backs, or you can use your device. Um, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is, it is an incredible treasure. It's, there are 26 different sections there of eight verses that follow um, excuse me, not 26, 22 different sections that follow the Hebrew alphabet. And every one of them has to do with God's word. Now, it uses different synonyms. It'll say God's law. And, and what we have a tendency to translate when we hear God's law is we think of the commandments. And that's okay, but that's only partway there. What it literally means is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's God revealing himself. And all of the stories and encounters that come with it. So you see, you see the law, commandments, precepts, um, testimonies. These things are all listed in here, and they're all designed to draw us closer to God so that we can have full desires. So here's what I wanna, want us to do. I want you to look at Psalm 119, and um, I want you to look for something that you desire. Something you see in there, because it talks about riches, it talks about um, not being put to shame. These verses talk about happiness. In fact, look at what it begins with. Let me give you one here. Beginning in, in, the, in the first few verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. The word blessed means happy. You want to be happy? I mean, really have your heart overflow? Walk blameless. Walk in the law the Torah of God's word. And he goes on and says, blessed, happy are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart. So here's a promise. If I really, really want to be happy, what God is saying is seek me. The answer to your happiness is found in seeking me. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to look through it. Some of you um, don't all start at verse 1. There's 176 verses. You can start anywhere you want, but I just want you to look for something that is there and say, yeah, I, I kind of want that. I want wisdom. I want whatever it is. And just say it out loud and look to see how God says his word will help you discover that desire. Because what I believe is when you begin to take those desires that even if they're impure and you take them to the Lord and to his word, he will transform that into a deeper desire where you discover just how good he is. Now, here's the deal. When you find one, when you find something in one of these verses that you desire, then go ahead and eat your piece of chocolate. Discover that it really is sweet. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All right. I know you're all terrified right now. But have you found anything that, that you would kind of want? Just say it out loud. Don't be bashful. Okay, let's, thank you, thank you. Anybody want to be rich? I mean, just let's be dead honest. You would love to be rich. Okay, thank you for some honesty here. All right, what he says is, 
the satisfaction you think you'll find in riches, I can give you something worth far more. And the way to find that is to find more of me through my word. That's what he's saying. Now, here's what, if that is your, your honest desire, Lord, I would like to be rich. Begin to pray that promise. Begin to pray, you've said your word is even better than riches. So, Lord, would you help me to desire your word, to have a hunger for you, because that, I believe, is going to satisfy even more than the riches I kind of want. You see, the greatest problem that we have from us experiencing intimacy with God is unbelief. We don't really believe God means what he says. Now, you know me well enough to know this is not about a prosperity gospel. I, I didn't say you'll get rich, okay? You might get more poor. But if you pursue his word as something even greater than riches, you'll find a deeper blessing because you'll find God himself. Anybody else find one? I know we don't do this very often, have audience participation part of our service, but I like to mess you up once in a while. Anybody else? Did you find something in there? Make my, your face to shine upon me. Man, how cool is that? Don't you want God to look at you and like radiate his goodness towards you? I want that. I want his face to shine upon me. And he says, in connection to those verses, that it's connected to his word. That as we commit more and more to his word and we put it more in our heart, we'll recognize that his face is shining on us, even like the sunshine on this beautiful day. Church, what I want to encourage you to do is to not just read God's word, but to look to what it's pointing to. It is a treasure beyond all measure, but you have to choose to desire it. Too often times, we suffer this apathy about God's word. And what I want to tell you, what I believe the Bible is telling you, is you're missing out on an incredible treasure if you will just choose to desire him more. Let me challenge you between now and Easter to spend some time looking at this chapter. Another great one is Psalm 19 as well. But look at it and find some promises. Find some desires that match your heart. It talks about grief. Some of you are dealing with sorrow. It talks about hardship and trial. It talks about not being put to shame. It has all kinds of subject matter in there, and it says you'll find what you're looking for, the deliverance, the hope, the life that you're looking for in my word. I want to encourage us between now and Easter to look for those and email them. Let's share them with one another, what God is promising us. Peter, in this section, says, like newborn infants, those who can't keep their desires quiet long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation, into the fullness of what God has for you, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. My prayer for each of us today is that we would take a fresh taste of the goodness of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that you give us. 
And Lord, I pray that today we would, we would say, I'm not going to keep settling for half desires. I want more. I want more of you. Oh, Lord, would you speak to each and every person in this room? Some have never tasted of you. They don't have a personal relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that today will be the day they call upon the name of Jesus and simply say, Lord, would you save me? Would you meet me right where I am? Because I need you. I am tired of a life without you. I want you. For those, Lord, that, that know about you and maybe know you to a degree, but, but if they're honest with themselves, they don't really desire more of you and more of your word. Lord, would you give them the courage and the faith today to say, Lord, I want more of you. In fact, I'm choosing to desire you more. And Lord, meet that small step with your grace and your goodness and do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ gave us an incredible ordinance that we call communion or the Lord's Supper to be a reminder to us of his sacrifice. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that on the night before he was crucified, he took bread And he broke it and blessed it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. And he took a cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup is the new covenant. It is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink it in remembrance of me. God gave us these two symbols to be a reminder that the deepest need of our life, our spiritual need for forgiveness And to be clothed in his righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. And also to be reminded that our need daily for sustenance, for satisfaction, is found in the bread of life, Jesus himself as well. And so today, as we come and we remember what Jesus has done, as we partake of the bread and of the cup, let us do so with thanksgiving. Let us do so with confession of sin in our heart and our life, including the confession of sin of, of Lord, I just don't desire, haven't desired you that much. But today I am turning from that apathy and choosing to want more of you. And then as we partake, as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, remember that Jesus is our satisfaction. He is the one who has satisfied the sacrifice needed for our sin. He is the one who will satisfy the deepest desire of your soul. So let us come to the table with thanksgiving. I'm going to invite those uh, who are serving to come to the table. And I'm just going to ask a blessing upon the bread and upon the cup today. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you for your son. We thank you for his sacrifice and what he has done. And Lord Jesus, even as you took bread at that last supper and broke it and blessed it, we ask your blessing upon this bread. Lord, that as we partake of it, we would do so in remembrance of you, that we would think about your goodness, your sacrifice. We would think about your giving of your all 
as represented in the bread, giving all that you are for us. Lord, let that impact our hearts with a freshness and wonder today. Lord, we take the cup and we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you that you broke down the barrier between us and you. You broke down the barrier of sin by taking sin upon yourself. You paid the price that we could never pay to give us the life we never deserved. Lord, thank you for what you've done. We ask your blessing upon the cup this day. Would you work in our hearts, in our spirits, and in our lives? We give you thanks, and we take this, the bread and the cup, in remembrance and honor of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.